You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Rene Francisco was drafted by the Cubs in the 38th round of the 1989 draft, playing two seasons in the minor leagues before hanging up his spikes. A brief college coaching career gave way to an international scouting job with the Braves, launching a career that has made Francisco one of the most respected people in that area of the game for more than 25 years, including the past 15 seasons with the Royals. I had a chance to sit down with Renee at the Royal Spring Facility in Surprise, Arizona before camp shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed the world of international scouting, Kansas City's 2015 World Series run, how the Royals nearly landed Juan Soto, and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Royals Vice President and Assistant GM of Major League and International Operations, Renee Francisco. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Renee, you grew up in the Dominican Republic at the age of 12, moved to West Palm Beach in Florida. Were there any major league teams that you followed as a kid that were your favorite teams? Well, the two teams were the Dodgers and the Pirates. Uh, and the reason why I, was follow- I followed them was because of the players that, that those teams used to send to the Dominican Winter League. Who were your favorite players growing up? Well... Willie Stargell was one of them, and uh, you know I, I really watch a lot of the uh, star players that went to play in the Dominican uh, from the from the Pirates because of uh, because that team was in Santiago, uh, where they used to send uh, the players like Taveras, the shortstop, came to Kobe, the the closer, that submarine guy, and and. Uh, the catcher that they have from Panama, also Omar Moreno. I mean, it's, all those guys played there. Were uh, was baseball always your your first love? Was that always your favorite sport? Yeah, always, always. Uh, since a little kid, I was. Uh, I didn't have a baseball, but we had tennis balls and uh, rubber balls, and we play in the streets. You played baseball at Indian River State College and then Jacksonville University. Drafted in the thirty eighth round by the Cubs in nineteen eighty nine. Uh, you played two seasons in the minors. What what made you stop playing? Well, I guess I was not good enough <laughs> to keep continue playing. I, I uh, you know, if I evaluate myself as a player, uh, 
I would say that I didn't have enough power to play the outfield, corner outfield. I was I could run and feel the ball, but I was not much of a bat. I uh, made contact, but when I got on base, I really I had speed, but I didn't have the instincts to steal bases. So um, that's why I guess the Cubs let me go. Is that a, is that a tough thing to to deal with when you're so young and you realize that 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 dream of getting to the major leagues is over? Well, yes. At that time, it was, because um, that's all I wanted to do, and that's the only thing I knew. What, what I went to college to play baseball. Right. Uh, I know a lot of people go to college to get a degree, and then, but I, to me, it was baseball. Baseball was my life, and uh, still is my life. But yeah, it was tough at that time. When you stopped playing, you went on and coached at Palm Beach Community College. Did you consider coaching as a, a long-term career? Uh, that was a startup. I just wanted to be in the game. So uh, my ex-high school coach was the head coach of Palm Beach, became the head coach, and he asked me, Renee, do you want to join the, the club? I said, sure, uh, whatever you want me to do. So that's where I started. Uh, and then uh, from there on, something else came on. How did you land your, your first job, non-playing job, in professional baseball? Um, well, uh, during my coaching career, short coaching career at Palm Beach Community College, I uh, I met a scout with the Braves, uh, Carlos Rios. He it was the area guy during that time the, in 1992, and he asked me, do you want to become an associate scout and help me uh, when you see a player, let me know about it. And uh, he took me by the hand and kind of helped me, when, took me to... Um, the Florida State League, uh, League games and also to like major league games in, in Atlanta. Uh, so that's how it started. And then when they made him uh, the Latin America coordinator, he asked Chuck Lamar that he had a candidate to go scout in the Dominican. So you become an international scout for the Braves in 1993, spend three years doing that. You're later promoted to area coordinator in Florida. You played baseball in college. Scouting is different than playing. Did scouting come naturally to you? I want to say yes, and I don't want to sound like... I think because as a player, I was always evaluating the guy that was next to me or the pitcher or the opposing uh, players and all the teams. So uh, I was always evaluating all the players that were were playing against me. What kind of skill set do you think makes for a good scout? Well, first of all... um, skill set will be uh, I think you have to listen to older scouts older scouts um, be able to take the information um, analyze it in your head and kind of have a a vision for that player during your time with the Braves one of the players that you signed was Rafael Fercal he got $5,000 went on to become rookie of the year three-time all-star when you find a player like that does that help you establish your reputation in the game as a talent evaluator i think it does help uh somewhat uh, but i think the most important thing is the people that you're working with uh that they they value what you do whether you find a good player or not find a good player uh the the, the time that you put in on the field is uh, i think the most important thing you went on to become the Braves' director of international scouting, a role you've also held with the Dodgers. 
What are the biggest challenges of scouting internationally? It's obviously much different than pro scouting in, in the U.S. Or, uh, or certainly amateur scouting in the U.S. Well, the first, the first thing that I, um, in 1993 when I started, it, it, it was a challenge. It's totally different from what it is now. In 1993, I was sent there. I didn't know anybody. I don't. I didn't know anything about scouting really. Um, so I had to learn the country, the, the Dominican Republic. I was born there, but I did not know the country. I had to meet different coaches and programs and stuff. Uh, the challenges are that you go to a field that. Uh, that you're really not familiar with when you start scouting, but those are the challenges. And then when when I became the director, then it's not just the Dominicans knowing the, the lay of the ground in, in Venezuela and in Japan and in the different countries that you are traveling. Just knowing the culture is very important, I think. When you look at scouting players in the Dominican and Venezuela, a lot of times you're looking at kids I mean, real kids, 14, 15 years old, sometimes younger. How tough is it to try to evaluate a player at that age when you have no idea what their body's going to look like at 18, let alone 22, trying to project that out? We really don't know, uh, Mark. Um, I think that the best way I can say this to make less mistake as an industry is if you don't have good people on the ground, good scouts that have seen those kids at an early age, um, then the club or all us will be in will be in trouble. But it's very hard to uh, to uh, project someone at a very young age. When I first started, most of the players were a little older. They were signing. Not many clubs were signing kids at 16. They were signing guys at 17, 18. Uh, and actually, those guys who were signing young, they had three or four years old. They were three or four years older. Right. Uh, the Tejadas of the world, even Rafael Foucault uh, of the world. Um, so I, I don't know. It's an industry. This is uh, is alarming a little bit. It's it's. I mean, this is a lot of money you invest in some of these kids, and you. I mean, to sign a kid at sixteen years old for you know millions of dollars. Yeah. It's got to be. You know, you're really rolling the dice on what you think they're going to project to you, not in terms of only their talent, but, I mean, just, you know, 16 years old, you could still grow six inches or you could not grow at all. Yeah, and also the makeup of the player is one of the most important things that, you know, the kids... I know I have one son, Diego, and when he was 15, he's totally different than than he, when he's 17 and now that he's 23. They grow, they get... They either get better or they get worse, and 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 just when they surround themselves with good people, things are gonna be good. When they surround with bad people, they they may turn to be something that you don't want in your organization. So it's, it's it's a tough business. What was most attractive to you when you had the opportunity to join the Royals? Dayton Moore and his leadership. Uh, I known Dayton for since 1994 when I first met him. Uh, with the Braves, um, and he he asked me. I said, "Would you come to to the Royals if I get this job?" And I said, "Absolutely." Uh, it was easy to stay with the Braves because we had good players there. But coming here and, and building something from the ground was special. 
you've worked with Dayton for a long time. What have you learned most working with him? <laughs> Honesty, the leadership, uh, those are the things, and, and, and just being truthful to what you're saying and to, and, and, and always try to help others. You served as a special assistant to him in August of 2006, uh, which was really the first time that the Royals started to dive into the international scouting market. How much of a turning point do you think that was for the organization to start looking internationally? Well, I, I would say that they had good people in place. They had Alvaro Gonzalez, which is back with us now as, as a coordinator at that time. Luis Severo was involved at some point. They have signed decent players for a little money, but it was, it was uh, the glasses actually opened up the, 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 the spending, not just internationally, but in the, in the amateur and scouting. And that's how we got better because of that. And there weren't that many rules like there is from MLB. Uh, uh, well, we just went out and just, let's invest in this player, this players, let's invest in the facility. And that's how, that's how we got better. Dayton promoted you to assistant GM after the 2012 season. What did that mean to you? Uh, Mark, it's, it stayed the same. It's, it's scouting. It's, it's being a part of scouting, being a part of the amateur scouting in, in the U.S., and also helping in the, in the player development part as well. So it, it's great to have a title, but I think ultimately I'm, I'm in baseball, and that's the most important thing. The Royals developed a nice core of homegrown players during that time, 2012, to, you know, like 09 to, to 12, 13. As you're seeing Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis um, and some of the other guys, Lorenzo Cain, and some other guys who came up through that system, and you're seeing them all take that next step and take that next step, did you have a sense in those years leading up to 2014 that you guys were really putting something together that was going to be special? Yeah, we, we talked about it all the time. And, uh, you know, when in 2011-12, we'd say, well, we're falling behind here. Um, but it happened. 13, we saw some progress. And 14, we, we went all the way to the World Series. Uh, but we saw the talent. Um, you know, we could easily gotten let go by Mr. Glass and, and the Glass family, but they stuck with us. And uh, but we did build a, a good foundation, and and these players became uh, what we wanted them to become. How rewarding is that to see players who you had faith in take those steps and become the stars that they became? It is really rewarding. That's that's the good thing about baseball when you are part of a group and you see them grow as a kid and then become big leaguers and then be on that field. Uh, in 2014 and 15 in the World Series, is, it just makes you uh, very, very, very happy. You mentioned your son Diego before. In 2014, the Royals selected him in the 40th round of the draft. How special was that for you? Well, it was very special because um, I didn't expect it, but it was a great thing that, that you know, it was great for him and great for our family. Um, now Diego is no longer playing, but he is involved against our rival, the White Sox. He's working for them. Oh so, wow! Yeah, <laughs> little family, uh, little family dynamic there in the same division. Yeah, correct. That's correct. interesting. <laughs> what does he do for them? He is in uh, player development side with um, with Chris Getz. So you guys can't talk about baseball at the dinner table anymore. 
he asks questions. He's <laughs> learning. He, he, he likes to ask a lot of questions. He's very quiet, so he's learning. Last summer, the Royals signed Eric Pena, who was one of the top five international prospects. How competitive has that market gotten for the top international players, and how satisfying is it when you're able to land one of those players? Well, it's great if you can do it. Uh, there's a lot of, just to explain to to the audience or, you know, international baseball, it's, it's gotten tougher of signing players. A lot of teams are committing very early with players, kind of like the colleges. Uh, and we have seen guys committing at a very, very young age, 14, 15, sometimes 13 years old. Uh, but to land Eric Pena, a, a great uh a great character person. He has ability. Comes from a good family background. We are very, very happy to have Eric here. Has the competition for these players gotten more intense as the years have gone on? Yes, it has, and and the money has gone up as well. Is that um, why do you think that is? Well, everyone wants the good player, and they want to commit early to the player. So I mean, they wanted the good player five or ten years ago also, right? Yeah, but so it was a different market. Uh, five or ten years, probably the average signing bonus, and I'd, I'd, uh, maybe it would have been $100,000. Now it's way more than that. Uh, when I started, the average signing bonus was three to 5000 back in 93. So right. it has increased quite... Uh, it has increased a lot. For smaller market teams, is that still a better way maybe to go about acquiring top-level talent versus, you know, the major league free agent market obviously is even a lot more expensive than the international market. You just have to wait a little longer for those international players to arrive. Well, for us to compete, we have to grow our own player. We have to sign our own players because it's so hard to sign free agent. They're very expensive and major league free agents. So we have to develop our own players. So that makes scouting and player development, not that it's not important for all 30 teams, but for a team like yours, it seems like that would make the international scouting and the amateur scouting even more crucial to your success than maybe a big market team that can overcome some mistakes in those areas by spending. Yes, we, we all the, the whole industry will make some mistakes, but we we have to eliminate the mistake that we have made in the past, and we have to be at our top of our games when it comes to signing players here and developing. Every team, every scout has stories about players that almost signed, players that got away. Uh, you've said recently that one of the best players that got away from the Royals was Juan Soto. How close was he to actually being a Royal? Uh, probably a phone call away. It was... Uh, it, it was the year that we signed um, Guzman, Jason Guzman and Sauli Matias. That year, uh, the shortstop from the Padres came out. Juan Soto came out and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came out. We, we were very close with Vlad Jr. and Juan Soto. Um, it's just when it comes to the money, it was a lot. Finally, we got the okay, but they have made a deal like maybe 10 or, 10 minutes, 10 or 20 minutes before I call them back and they say, no, we just agree with the Nationals. Wow, so, so it's that close. 10 or 20 minutes yeah. changes the course of two yes. franchises potentially. Correct. Well, they, they won the World Series with Soto, and we wish we had Soto. <laughs> <laughs> Another player... 
that was an almost another burgeoning star in the league, Ronald Acuna Jr. He said he was set to sign with Kansas City before Atlanta called him that day and offered him more money. How difficult is it when those types of situations happen? Well, you just got to, you know, you got to live with it. But it's we made an effort to sign him. Uh, we thought that that's, that was the value. We wish we would have given more the type of player he turned out to be. And, and people don't understand that Kuna was not the type of player that when you saw him at a young age, he was just, he made a lot of contact. He was very skinny and he just got stronger and bigger and now he's a star. But well, it's, we made we made an effort to sign him. Uh, Escobar was playing for us, which they're related. And Escobar wanted us to sign him. And then he just said, Renee, we just agree with uh, the Atlanta Braves. That, that goes back to our conversation earlier about trying to project kids when they're young. Correct. He was a skinny kid making contact. You had no way to know that he was going to become this, you know, fill out and become a big power hitter. This is how smart I am. He worked out here. I put him in the infield because he was that small. <laughs> okay, just to see if he, because, you know, shortstop, his uncle's is right. a shortstop. And so, but he had a good arm. And he looked like he could run, but it was just a small workout that we had here. And he showed that he can, made a lot of hard contact and threw good, but he was small. It's part of a scout's life, right? Correct. Um, just like the amateur draft and free agency, there are a lot of international players that don't wind up panning out. And others who you sign for seemingly small amounts end up becoming stars. How gratifying is it to watch a player like Salvador Perez, who signed him for $65,000, turn into the the player he's become? Well, Salvador Perez probably should have gotten more money just because of the type of player he got. He's he's became. Uh, Salvador Perez was a a guy that I even watched him with the Braves when he... When I first saw him, he was playing first base. A lot of people didn't think he could catch. Then I came to the Kansas City Royals, saw him playing a tournament, and 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 on a first workout, we see him, and he's totally different than what we saw in the tournament. But it's gratifying because he's he's such a his makeup is off the chart when it comes to work ethic, his family background, his mom. He loves his mom. He loves his grandmother. It's just it's so satisfying to see him play in the big league once uh, once he make it, made it uh, from the minor leagues. You've mentioned makeup a few times. When, when you see a, a young player who has all the talent in the world, but you're not a huge fan of the makeup, does it cause you to really pause and maybe pass on that player? Yes, you got to be careful because I think makeup is is such important part of the the puzzle for a player too, because a lot of people, a lot of players can make it to the big leagues, but sustain to just sustain and stay in the big leagues is is hard, and you have to have not only the ability but the makeup. On the flip side of a case like Salvador Perez, you sign players. Uh, Cuban pitcher Noel Arguelles was one. The $8 million he got Correct. doesn't reach the potential that you hoped for. How difficult is it when you come to the realization at some point that the player you thought you were going to be having isn't going to pan out? Yeah, those are the mis- those are the things that we, we have to avoid. Um, he, sh- he was a good body guy. He had a good breaking ball. He got hurt. 
he was hurt at um, shoulder surgery, and uh, you know it's it's a failure in our part. And I, I I know the kid felt terrible that he didn't make it to the big leagues, but we saw one thing: he got injured, and then uh, he's he was out after six years of professional baseball. I've heard you say that sometimes it takes luck to land a player. Uh, that becomes a major contributor to your team. Kelvin Herrera was one of those players. Why have you said that finding him was kind of the result of luck? Well, the, the luck was uh, we, we had the first workout in the Dominican in our first academy when we got to, to uh, Kansas City. Um, it was in Salcedo. We had a big workout with a lot of top prospects. We didn't sign one guy from there. But Kelvin Herrera came in walking because there was a separate workout after the main workout, and Kevin Herrera was in that group. Our scout worked him out. I was actually having a meeting, and our scout said, you need to come see this kid. So we went and, and, and saw him, and he threw again, and we ended up signing him, I think, fifteen or $17,000, and that's why I say luck, because he wasn't, the scout did not bring him. He just showed up on his own. We were lucky. I mean, you've heard so many of those stories. I mean, Mariano Rivera has told the story about how he he went to this tryout not having any idea that they were looking at him. He thought he was going just to, you know, help some people out there. And all of a sudden he gets signed and just becomes the greatest reliever of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, But you've seen that a lot. I think uh, the Mariners said they, they discovered Kyle Seeger while they were scouting Dustin Ackley. So it seems like a lot of times you go to see one player and you end up discovering another, and that's probably where the luck comes in a lot of times, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy business. Uh, the Royals, like you mentioned, you got to the World Series in 2014, got back there in 2015 and won. Um, what are the feelings going through your head after you see a decade of hard work pay off with the franchise's first World Series championship in 30 years? Well, it's it's great to see that um, everyone was happy. Everyone, um, you know, the the most satisfying thing is, is is you watch all these kids come together. They first signed with the organization. The guys that you bring in from other club, whether it was a trade or something, or signing them as a six-year free agent, they both come together as a team. And, and then watching them celebrate, that's, uh, I think, is unbelievable. I've had other executives tell me that in those situations when a team wins a championship uh, or gets to the World Series, they start flashing back to the sort of the journey that these players have taken. So as you're watching players who you either signed internationally or you played a role in, in them being drafted amateur, and you see them hoisting up the trophy and celebrating and doing the whole thing, did any of you flash back to remembering that day of signing Kelvin Herrera or, or things oh, like yeah. that? This, seeing Kelvin Herrera going through that he almost quit baseball because he he had an injury in his arm and didn't pitch for over a year. He almost quit. Watching Hosmer, where he struggled one year or maybe a year and a half of hitting in the minor leagues and then seeing him celebrate. Uh, you know, uh, Jordano Ventura. You know, all the little troubles that he has before he made it to the big leagues. Uh, just the trade that brought us Kane and Escobar, you know. And it's just 
it's, it's, it's rewarding. And then the struggle that Alex Gordon went to, that he was sent down to the minor leagues and then became a, uh, I don't know how many All-Stars, uh, not All-Star, but uh, Gold Glove in left field. I think it's six or seven, or maybe I'm short, but those things are what brings joy to you when you see those things during the World Series. In uh, November of 2015, you interviewed for the Blue Jays' general manager job. What was that experience like going through that interview process? It was good. Um, you know, they didn't call me. I was in the Dominican, and uh, he said, oh, Mark Shapiro wants to talk to you about this GM job in Toronto. And the process was all right. It was, it was okay. It was, uh, it was a nice thing. But it's not the ultimate thing that I that I have in, in mind. Well, I mean, a lot of executives, that is sort of, I want to run my own team yeah. someday. Is that not a uh, an important goal for you? My the, the biggest thing for me, my goal is, and always been, and is always going to be, is whoever is my boss is to do the best job that I can for for that person or for that organization. But I, I know that a lot of people want, want to be a GM. I, I'm not really looking to it. So you have been a GM for a team in the Dominican Republic. Um, how has that experience helped you in your role with the Royals? It has. Um, it actually helped me scout a lot, a lot more players, see a lot of players, or get information from you know because you're you, you're always there in the field and you hear this and you hear that. You get to talk to players and you get to know the makeup of that player. But it has helped me. It has helped our players go there and, and get them job to play in the and win a ball. But um, it's been a, a great experience. The first time that I did it was back in Puerto Rico. Uh, I forgot the year, but then 14 and 15, I did it for the Gigantes. We won. They only won the only uh, championship there is that year. And then... Uh, I think it was a great experience. Oh, 14 and 15 were some pretty good years for you. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, we celebrated twice. <laughs> um, what's your favorite part of your job? Meeting people, people that you don't know, knowing families, uh, traveling, and a challenge uh, when you see a play and you say, I think this guy can do this. Um, but just being around people and baseball people. What's your least favorite part? <laughs> Something that I have to do is travel, but it's part of his job. All right. Give me a scouting assessment on yourself. What is your biggest strength in your job? My biggest strength, uh, I guess, uh, it's just relating to people and staying quiet and observing people. If you had to improve upon one area of your job, where do you think you would try to improve? Um... Uh, about my job and I say this more <laughs> maybe spending and it's not a job it's maybe part of my life not maybe not the job but spending more time with my family probably goes for everybody in baseball yeah. right um, you mentioned your Donovan Ventura before you scouted and signed him we know that the impact that his passing had on the organization how devastating was it for you personally given your relationship with him um, it was hard. I still think about him almost every day because um, we uh, we communicated a lot, and I was on his bottle like he was my son. Uh, I actually in 
the year before he passed, I spent I think I spent more time with him than my my own son. So, what uh, a lot of the players who he played with are no longer with the Royals. A lot of them moved on elsewhere. What kind of lasting impact has Ventura had on the organization as a whole? Well, I think is um, you know a, lo- a lot of players, a lot of us, a lot of young, not just players but kids go through a lot of a lot of stuff that is not related to baseball off the field, and uh, it's, it's impacted us on helping other people, other kids. Not that we didn't help Giordano, but. We're just more aware of things with our own players that are here, that are left here in the, with us. You saw the impact that the World Series win had on the city. Um, Kansas City was very excited to get, get that championship again. You guys are in another sort of rebuilding phase of trying to get back there. Having experienced that high as recently as five years ago, does that, did that increase your hunger to get back there again? Yes, and that's what we're doing. Uh, I think uh, we are we are better prepared. I believe uh, we know that what we have to do, which is people have to we have to be patient. Fans have to be patient. Uh, but we want to. I think we we're on the right track. We got our system is a lot better than what people think. In my mind, um, we just don't talk about it. But um, we want to be back and, and and go to the playoff and hopefully go to the World Series again. My last question for you. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are young people who want to get into baseball. What advice would you have for, for a young person trying to break into the game, whether it's in a front office capacity or scouting capacity or anything non-playing? Just learn as much as you can. Ask questions. Uh, ask more questions than just don't be so outspoken. Uh, that's one thing that I tell my son. He just started this year with the with the White Sox. Just meet uh, as many people that you can that has been in the game uh, for a long time and just ask questions. Renee, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Many thanks to Renee Francisco for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. Stay tuned for future episodes as I continue to sit down with the decision makers around the major leagues, delving into their personal stories, their takes on the industry, their aspirations for the future, and much more. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. And if you haven't checked out our archive, I would highly recommend it. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about executive access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinsand. Stay safe, everybody.